Welcome to Let It Grow Investing, the financial investing and small business podcast that is not run by a professional investor. I am Jeff, and thank you for stopping by. We're going to cover all the news you need to know to make sense of the market, helping you get invested, stay the course, and on your way to financial freedom. What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to the podcast, and thank you very much for uh, tuning in to listen and have a chat here with me about what's going on out there in the market. Uh, This might be a shorter one. I am a little strapped for time. We've got uh, our possible first uh, little bit of a winter snowstorm kind of coming into my area, and that means I've got uh, trucks getting ready to go. I've got uh, skid loaders getting on site, salt getting delivered, contracts going out, final... (laughs) changes. It's just uh, kind of a nonstop day here for me. So uh, might be a short one, but it, there is a lot of different stuff out there that I really wanted to talk about. Uh, really, the the two, uh, I guess, main points of today's episode are CPI and Sam Bankman-Fried and what's going on with FTX. Um, so I guess we can just dive right in. But uh, I guess first off, CPI came in a bit light. And, uh, you know, I was really looking forward to a lighter print than even what we got. We still have uh, that inflation number at 7.1 on the uh, the CPI, the Consumer Price Index. And that uh, was under estimates of 7.3%. And the market pre, pre-market on Tuesday did rally on that news. Uh, I think the NASDAQ was up three and a half, close to 4%. The Dow was up about two and a third percent, I believe it was. And I mean, we were in in the green, well in the green to start the day. And then it kind of fizzled out. Now, I I guess I could have seen that some of that coming. As I said before, we had these money managers looking to take profit where they can. Uh, ultimately you had a lot of people coming out and saying, oh yeah, well, you know, 7.1, but it still starts with the seven. That's a lot more inflation than what we want to see. Now, ultimately it is, but at the same time, I also want to point out that the October number was 7.7%. So we trended down six tenths of a percent month over month. Uh, although we did have, uh, the Dow, where were we? We had expectations. I'm on this report here. It rose 2% on the month and 6% on an annual basis on the core uh, compared with respective estimates of 0.3 and 6.1. And it rose 0.1 from the previous month and increased 7.1 from a year ago. But that year over year in October was 7.7. So we are down, at least we're trending down, and we came in under that 7.3% that the analysts and everyone was really looking at. So if we are getting 0.6%, uh, you know, you fast forward, if we can continue that for another, you know, five, six months, we'll be down in that 4% range, which is, you know, still above where they want to be at that 2%, but it actually shows you that we're trending in the right direction. And I really hope to see some of these, uh, you know, these interest rates continue to drop. Uh, I think finally, 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 we can use that magical T word. And uh, the Fed tried to use it about a year ago. They said this inflation was going to be transitory. It was not. It was raging higher. And ultimately, it was a runaway problem that they were more or less letting itself 
or, or letting it work itself out. And it really didn't do that. We had to see these massive uh, rate hikes in order to start bringing it down. So now that we've got the massive rate hikes, uh, I don't have time to really hold off for what the Fed says today. I'm assuming it is going to be a 50 basis point hike higher. And uh, I think that should further this decline in those uh, inflation numbers. So if we get that, we're probably going to have some 50 or 25 basis point hikes into 23. And then hopefully in that six month or so, I'm saying if we have continued to have half percent drops month over month, we might actually start seeing some of these numbers come down to where the Fed can pause or then actually revert course maybe later next year. So there's a lot of people calling for a recession. Is that still possible? Yeah. Is it is it going to be a soft landing like the Fed was hoping to have? That's looking harder and harder. But ultimately, I think that the numbers are going in the right direction. I think that the market was overly aggressive on this uh, pre-market news with uh, CPI coming in a little bit light. And ultimately, that rally just did not last. Whether it's money managers, whether it's retail investors selling out and they want to take some money off the table going into the year end, or they're trying to get ready for a possible recession, there's a lot of different reasons as to why we rallied and stopped. Uh, so we, we've got the charts working against us. The S&P does not really want to break above uh, that 4,100 level. We've had a lot of resistance there. And ultimately, um, I don't know that it's a screaming time to buy. I don't think everything is all clear. I think things are coming down. Uh, I think we can be very selective still in what we're buying. I'm not rushing out to buy companies that are high growth, but there are those things where you see some pockets where there is good value out there. Um, still looking at the utilities, some of the healthcare that's out there. Uh, one that popped up that kind of caught my eye was Verizon. Um, the ticker is VZ on Verizon. I just want to pull that one up real quick. It's in a, uh, a pretty low on that uh, 52 week range sitting at 37.72. The low was set at 34.55. And right now we're getting about a 6.89% dividend on this money, a PE of 8.2, a beta of 0.5. So low volatility. And one that, uh, you know, should have some upside in this price. I think it's gotten sold off on some of the AT&T problems, some of the people cutting the cord. Uh, but you still have 21% upside and a 7% dividend, I'm, I'm going to call it. And I think that could be a spot to park some money uh, for that low PE, for that high dividend, for the low volatility. And ultimately, there's a, a lot of other names like this. Don't just take this one. But you know, a lot of the different utilities we've been looking at, whether it's Dominion or Southern or you know, name another utility company, there's a lot of spots where you're getting into that deep value and I think you could probably park some money there. Now, do I really want to see everyone run out and get back into those high flyer names of 2020 and 21? No, I don't. But I think there are spots that you can, you know, dollar cost average in or get some yield out of investing in some high dividend names, some quality high, uh, you know, aristocratic names. If you can find them at a good valuation, I'm still looking at some of those. Now, Verizon's not going to be the, the best growing stock. I know that. But if you are looking for yield, it's a good spot to possibly park some cash and get some uh, some income coming in. Now, 
All right, we're going to pivot. We're going to go back to the Sam Bankman-Fried fiasco. It is just chaos out there in, in the Sam Bankman-Fried FTX world. And I'm going to try to recap some of what's going on out there. Yes, he was arrested in the Bahamas uh, on, I think, about eight counts of fraud. I don't know that all of it has been released yet. I, I think that it's still ongoing. They are talking about uh, if you are working with him, if you're doing similar problems or having similar issues, you need to come forward. Or it's going to get worse if you don't. Uh, so what's what's going on with him? He had claimed to not know anything with uh, Alameda when, in fact, Alameda is basically his company. He said that there was another CEO, which he did appoint some woman to be the CEO, but pretty much was the co-CEO of the company and had full autonomy over what was happening there. So that was problem number one. They also had been uh, taking money in from uh, consumer investors or whoever's depositing money, saying that the money was going to FTX. And in fact, it was going to bank accounts that were linked to Alameda Capital or Alameda Research. So the money was not ever going to FTX. Uh, and there was a lot of a lot of transparency or not a lot of transparency between the two as FTX is a private company. They didn't really have to show these books to anyone. So uh, anyone's money that went to FTX basically got lost in Alameda. He was uh, doing a lot of shady things with that, a lot of leverage deals, a lot of uh, you know donations to uh, the Democratic campaign. He was buying a lot of different real estate, all under the guise of "Hey, I'm just an eccentric billionaire that drives a Corolla, and uh, you know I wear shorts and flip flops when I go to the office." Uh, so that money never really got to where it was going. He did know exactly what was going on and claimed to not have any kind of clue as to where the money went. But um, there was a lot of different things that were um, fraudulent in this deal. He also was lending money from one to the other without any real um, acknowledgement of that on the books, which is illegal to, in some regard. And then he also was doing uh, money back and forth between the two without charging interest, which is also another uh, big no-no. So there's a lot of different things that he did know about. He's claiming that, uh, you know, your money was safe, your money was protected and got a lot of people to back him. And really, you were just, you know, investing in the veneer of someone that same claimed to be the, the saving grace of crypto. And truthfully, it was just all fraudulent. And uh, hopefully they can recover some of this money. Uh, I know with some of the campaign donations, I believe that was... Uh, 70 some million dollars that he donated to different campaigns, uh, basically trying to buy more power and really get on the, the good side of some of these different politicians. Hopefully they can get some of that money back. I'm not sure if that's already been spent or not. Uh, I'm sure some has, some hasn't. But uh, this really came crashing down this summer, you know, with the, the fall of crypto and the fact that he couldn't start repaying any of his lenders for Alameda. And the money was pretty much drying up as to how much money was coming in from new investors into the crypto space. There was no money to repay those bills. So they more or less finally caught up with them. And, uh, you know, this crypto bull run was pretty much just uh, keeping it undercover. He had enough money coming in to, you know, keep the uh, bill collectors at bay. And it, it basically, it, it all just went, uh, you know, belly up. So... What can we learn from that? Well, one, uh, the government is trying to 
come after him and anyone doing similar stuff in the crypto space. I think that is a great thing. Uh, I've talked about this before. I think, you know, the regulation, while crypto wasn't really built upon being a regulated uh, currency, I think in some regard, it needs to be regulated to protect, you know, the consumers or whoever's investing in these assets in order to not have one of these giant fallouts again, like what we've just had. You know, a, a lot of people are, you know, really trying to figure out where their money's at, if they're ever going to get their money back. And I don't really think that is a great way to, you know, go forward and really have ongoing problems like this. And also, number two, if you don't have your keys, it's not your crypto. So if you can take your crypto off of that exchange and put it into a, a cold wallet, uh, whether, you know, that's, uh, I think it's the, uh, the, Tez, I forget the name of it, the the hard wallet that's a USB drive, or if you can just pull them off and put them into uh, cold storage, it's definitely a better way to have them than on a, uh, a crypto exchange. I do have mine on an exchange for staking purposes. I need to probably figure out a way to get around that and actually pull them off, put them in cold storage myself. So I'm guilty as charged. I understand that uh, I think a lot of the interest on staking was a lot of the reason that I was on some of these exchanges. And I'm very grateful that I was not on FTX. Uh, I'm still on Binance, still on Crypto.com. That's the two that I've been using. But uh, in, in that regard, I do think that Coinbase, um, PayPal, any other way that you can have a company that is regulated uh, by the SEC is going to be a better way to store your money. PayPal, again, you don't own your keys, so it's really not your crypto, but it is, in my opinion, at the moment, safer than putting it on an exchange where you don't have it at all. You really don't know what's going on, and you could just be being sold a bill of goods as to this, you know, your money's safe. It's, uh, you know, not, not at any kind of risk being locked up in FTX. So really think about where your money's at and understand that these are not insured assets on a crypto exchange. It's just how it works. Uh, other point I wanted to make is now that uh, he has been arrested and the uh, he's being investigated and more or less the government is looking at other crypto exchanges, we are seeing the crypto market kind of slightly coming back more and more. Uh, in the past couple of days, I know Bitcoin and Ethereum have uh, have moved higher. I want to take a look at that right now and see exactly how high they have moved. So let me pull up the crypto.com app here. But uh, they have been moving higher. And I, I don't know if some of that is to do with the state of the economy and the fact that inflation is lighter. Maybe people have some more money to put into uh into crypto or the fact that, you know, maybe we're not as fearful as people getting away with this. But uh, when I look at the one week on Ethereum, we're up 9.1%. When I'm looking at Bitcoin, we are up 8.1%. So that's a, a pretty substantial move in these coins over the past week, especially with everything that's been going on out there. So I'm still in the camp of Bitcoin, Ethereum are going to be around for a long time. A lot of these different exchanges will not be there. Um, kind of similar to NFTs. I think a lot of them are complete waste of money, waste of time. But that's not to say that in 20 years, some of the top 
first, you know, first to market NFTs aren't going to be worth something. I think they will. I think they're going to have a pop culture following for for years to come. So we, we've got to really weigh our options. Do we really want to invest in these assets? If so, how do you do it? How are you protected? And and back to that, I, I still think keeping your uh, crypto in a cold wallet, probably your safest way to uh, to hold your coins. Now, you have to remember where that USB uh, drive is. You have to remember all your keys. And you have to have that written down somewhere that is not going to get lost, damaged, destroyed, anything else. So, I mean, for me, I'd probably put it in a safe and uh, keep the keys separate in possibly another safe. It's just it's that how it really needs to go in order to protect yourself. And also, uh, I'm still looking at other exchanges that are going to be a little bit more secure from the standpoint of uh, SEC watching over the accounting of these companies to know that you're not just dumping your money into a company that is basically stealing from you. So that's what I got there. And I just want to make sure that you guys are safe if you are into the crypto uh, investing. And um, yeah, that's pretty much what I got on that. So I'm going to come back. We're going to talk about uh, some changes going on over at SoFi. We're going to be looking at the investing challenge and uh, really what's next for 2023. So stick around. I will be right back. All right, we are back on the podcast here. And uh, if you have not yet subscribed to the podcast, please go ahead and do so. So you do not miss any further updates or episodes uh, that uh, I happen to release. Sometimes I, I'm a little bit late in getting my uh, posts out for uh, actually releasing them. And, you know, if I got a crazy morning like I did today, uh, I generally tend to forget until uh, a little bit later in the day to go ahead and post that a new episode is out. So uh, go ahead and subscribe. You won't miss them. Also, if you could invite someone else to join in on a favorite episode that, uh, that you might have liked, if you could go ahead and share it, I would greatly appreciate that also. But uh, yeah, before break, we were talking about SoFi. Uh, I know we talk about SoFi a good bit, and it tends to be one that uh, I'm, I'm fairly bullish on. I still think that it's a great company. It's got a lot of different things going for it. But uh, why are we talking about it today? Well, uh, when I first pulled up my uh, E-Trade account, SoFi, big winner for the day. It was up over 10%. It was about 10.4% when I looked at it. And right now we're up about 8.3%. So what's going on with them? Well, they have a wholly owned subsidiary called Galileo. Now, Galileo Financial Technologies is uh, owned, like I said, by uh, SoFi. I'm reading from Business Wire here. So uh, but their new product is Galileo's Direct Deposit Switch, uh, which gives the company's fintech clients an opportunity to better serve consumers by offering faster access to their wages and a more streamlined approach to redirecting part or all of their paychecks into a financial service of their or service accounts of their choice. Uh, so basically, customers can quickly and easily set up and update their payroll direct deposit information, specify how much of the wages deposit into their accounts. You can create accounts for specific purposes, whether it's vacation or education fund. You can set it into different baskets. Uh, you can also make recurring deposits to multiple accounts. Uh, this new financial feature also eliminates processing delays, gives users peace of mind by instantly verifying requests, empowers workers with greater control over where they route their funds. Uh, so it did say some more stuff about some buy now, pay later options. Um, but really, this is just going to be a way for 
uh, you know, employees to basically get their money, get it quicker and basically have it directly saved into different baskets that they want to put it in. So whether they're putting 3% for a new car, 10% for retirement or whatever breakdown they set is automatically going to go in there. So uh, I think it's going to give people a little bit more autonomy over their money and allow for more automatic uh, investing um, where it might be harder before where, you know, you get your paycheck and then you got to physically go over and put this into your investing account, move some money into another account. Uh, it's going to give people a little bit more um, control over where everything's going from Jump Street. So you don't have to go ahead and move things after the fact. Uh, so I definitely think that's a good product. Uh, we still got a lot of uh, reasons that SoFi is uh, is going to be a big player going forward. I know we had a lot of problems with uh, the student uh, debt crisis and, and student loan repayment, but uh, ultimately they got the charter. I think a lot of the student loans are getting to the point where, um, at least on SoFi's end, they're getting to the point where they're a little bit behind them and we're kind of looking out toward the future. So these new products are definitely nice. And uh, I think it gives a lot more uh, flexibility as to people when they are getting paid. Uh, so that's definitely cool. Um, what else do we want to talk about? Oh, I wanted to talk about uh, stocks for 2023. Now, um, I was looking at uh, Cowan. They said they have uh, different favorites for 2023. And I kind of wanted to make a point that just because a company like this says that they have favorites does not mean they need to be your favorites. Doesn't mean that all of them should be invested by the same people or by uh, different different people rather. So if uh, you know, you're know 65 and you're looking to retire, some of these aren't going to be for you. If you're 25, other ones aren't going to be for you. But some of the favorite names that they had was uh, Netflix, Workday, Costco, Caterpillar, uh, and it says and more. But um, it looks like Cigna is one of them. And really, I was kind of surprised at some of these. And that was really why I wanted to talk about it. I don't know that uh, all these stocks are going to be created equal. Um, you know, you look at Netflix on a chart. I look at it on E-Trade. It looks like it has downside, according to many of the analysts that are on there right now. Uh, so when I'm looking at Netflix, we're sitting at 324. Analyst research says it's got about 7.7% of downside average price target of 299. Uh, I'm not too sure what's driving Netflix higher right now with all the competition and people really trying to get back out into the world and do more traveling, you know, this, that, and the other, all the problems that Netflix has had over the past couple years here or since the pandemic and the really nice rally that they had and, you know, coming out of it, it's been a real challenge for them. Uh, Workday, I still am bullish on a lot of these uh, internet kind of cloud computing kind of companies. And, you know, I'm not going to bet against that one. Costco, uh, I think, is priced to perfection pretty much all the time. And Workday is still at a negative EPS. So that one might be a little tough. If we do enter a uh, recession, the company might do good, but the stock might perform poorly because of that. Uh, Costco, you're still looking at a PE of about 37 times. But uh, a five-year chart that, you know, I don't think anyone's going to really be upset about owning that one. Uh, you know, five years ago, we were sitting around 180 and now we're at uh, 487. So uh, definitely a nice uh, two, three X play there uh, for Costco. Now, then I look at uh, companies like Caterpillar. 
where I'm a big fan of Caterpillar, but uh, we've always been told if we're going into a recession, not to be buying a big construction equipment company as you know, a lot of that construction is not going to be there. Yes, we've got a lot of different uh, government funding that is going to be, you know, the build back better and looking to really mine more stuff is in the way of lithium for EVs. And I am bullish on cat long term. It's been one of my longest owned stocks. I think it is the first stock that I bought. And I bought it somewhere down near $72, something like that. And it's sitting at 237. So I have no problem in saying that cat has treated me well. But put the recession story in the mix and cat normally doesn't do as well. Yes, I know we have some other spending, but I, it makes me question why they want these stocks so much versus some of the other things that we have out there. Uh, they did go on and say that uh, a lot of the internet and uh, the cloud stocks that have been beaten down that are profitable are a good uh, investment. And I, I do think that's a, you know, a, a solid point. I still think that a lot of the the web security or uh, cloud computing security type companies are still going to be good stocks. So I really want to just kind of put it out there that when you see a list come out, it might not all be for you. It doesn't mean that uh, just because this you know one specific uh, brokerage or uh, investment firm is saying these are great stocks doesn't necessarily mean that we have to have them. Uh, I guess I'm also going to rewind back to the beginning of the year when a lot of these different uh, banks were saying S&P to 4,800, S&P to 5,000. No one predicted where we are right now. So they all have a uh, you know something to do. They've all got something to tell you. But I really want you to do some more research than simply looking at a list of what someone publishes as best ideas for 2023, hot stocks to buy now, put some of what we learned here to work and really come up with a reason as to why you're buying these. And I'll stress on another thing. Give me three reasons as to why you want to buy any one stock. Uh, I kind of just did that with Verizon. I kind of said, you know, uh, the PE is low, lower than historic. We've talked about price to sales. We've talked about the dividends. We've talked about management. There's a lot of different reasons that you would want to buy a stock. Um, and if I looked at Disney right now, I would have three different reasons. I, I would go back to saying that, you know, Bob Iger's back in. Uh, I think that the park business is very strong. They're oversold or sold out for uh, months to come on park uh, passes. There's a lot of reasons that uh, Disney could be good. You even even got the uh, the tiered pricing to the Disney Plus where you're going to have uh, commercials on that platform now. So that's another driver. Yes, the PE is high. Yes, the beta is uh, a bit higher than average. And we don't have a dividend. I, I do think that we're going to get that dividend back. But uh, I do think that Disney has room to run. Um, that being said, analysts also say that 27% of upside. So I would ask you and urge you to come up with three reasons as to why you want to buy that stock. And the fact that any one uh, bank, brokerage, friend, internet says that it's a good buy is not a good enough reason. Uh, you really need to do your own homework. Come up as to, with reasons as to why you want to buy these stocks and really execute that vision for your portfolio. Even what I say, um, you know, I can point out three reasons that work for me and they might work for you, but they might not. So take that into account. Just because someone else thinks it's going to be the next greatest thing and the biggest growth stock in, in forever, uh, do your own homework. Um, so that that's what I got there. I just wanted to point out that stocks from this particular website or any of them that you're going to see in the next month, 
they're trying to sell you something too. They're trying to get you to click their ads or invest money with them. Um, you know, that that's just how it works. So take it all with a grain of salt and understand that you got to do your own homework. Now, going forward, I want to go back to the investing challenge for week 51. Uh, week 50 did end. We did uh, invest $200 into Dominion Energy. That ticker is the letter D. So um, that one, you know, why did I look at that one? Let's do a quick recap. 17% of upside. It's utility. It should be doing good through a recession as people got to keep their lights on. 4.5% dividend, uh, beta of a 0.6, very low volatility, and uh, one that uh, I believe is oversold, especially when I'm looking at a... Uh, a one-year chart. You know, we are sitting down uh, at sixty dollars right now. The low was fifty-seven twenty-three, which was actually set yesterday, and we bought this one on Monday. So that, uh, you know, I guess we bought it right around that low, and you know, the high for the year is at eighty-eight back in April. So I think it's oversold, uh, and it should do well going through recession. We've got that dividend and some upside to back that up. Uh, low volatility included. So again, three reasons I bought Dominion. Um, so now going forward, what stocks do we have this week? First one, uh, we were talking about different stocks that other money managers own and whether or not be a good uh, thing to buy as these have traded down for the year. First one, Bank of America. Uh, we've got a uh, PE 10.3. So low PE, dividend of 2.7. And we should have a good amount of upside on this one. And it's about 21.8%. So an average price target of 39.91. And uh, one that uh, I think should be good value. And that's why Charlie Munger, Warren Buffett both own uh, millions or billions of dollars of Bank of America stock between them and Berkshire Hathaway. Uh, number two, uh, we were looking at Broadcom, uh, chip semiconductor chip maker with um, a good dividend. and. Since I looked at this one on Sunday, we are up $40. Uh, so that's, you know, I wish I'd sometimes just buy them right when I look at them instead of waiting to see what everyone wants to vote on. But uh, yeah, we did trade down to about $415 on October 13th. We were sitting at $545 when I recommended this one to the group. Uh, you know, we just touched $585. Uh, Earlier, as I was recording this, we're sitting at 582 right now. Uh, quarterly dividend, 3.2%. That PE is at a 21. I'm going to guess that that trade's uh, five-year average is going to be higher than 21 on Broadcom. And uh, again, another chip stock that I think is oversold on the year with a lot of the problems in chips and supply chain. And I don't think that you're going to hold down a company like Broadcom. They have had superior management. Uh, when other people couldn't uh, deliver during, you know, different supply crunches, Broadcom was delivering. They seem to have it dialed in. Uh, I've liked them forever and they have served me really well. I'm just going to take a look at my position in Broadcom here. Uh, let's take a look. We've got, uh, I've got about 105% gain on Broadcom and I own it at 282. So I've been in this one a long time. It's been one that served me well. Uh, I originally bought it in 2019 and um, I was buying it heavy in March of 2020 and April of 2020 when it went down into the high 100s, mid 100s even. 
So I was buying it back then and it has really rallied since then. So uh, one that's treated me well and uh, hopefully it continues to do that if we go ahead and pick this one for this week. Uh, now next, PayPal. This one hasn't treated me so well. I'll, I'll be very transparent on that. Uh, this one, I am down 58%. I bought it. Uh, my average is 177. We're sitting at 74. So you can't win them all. But um, one that I am still bullish on, especially with a lot of the spending that's going on out there. You've got uh, Venmo actually on PayPal. I just got an alert that if you spend $100 on Amazon using your Venmo account, you get a $10 Amazon credit. So that was kind of cool. If you're on PayPal or if you're on uh, Venmo and you use Amazon, you can go ahead and get a credit on there as well for spending uh, with your Venmo account. But uh, yeah, we've got that. We've got, uh, like I said, other ways to own crypto. You can buy it directly through PayPal. Uh, and like I said, they are regulated by the SEC. You're not investing into someone's uh, you know, side account so they can buy luxury properties and uh, donate to political campaigns. Uh, your money is going to PayPal. It's not your keys. Some people would say it's not your crypto. I think it's a little bit safer there than some other brokerages. Just my two cents. Do what you're, you're going to do. I'm, I'm trying to keep you safe. But um, so PayPal, for a lot of the different reasons that we're talking about, a little bit safer for crypto and transferring money from peer-to-peer uh, -peer or to businesses. Now you're paying to Amazon with Venmo. A lot of different things going on out there. You can also use it like Rakuten or Ebates, if you're familiar with those, and use your money from your PayPal or Venmo account to shop directly on to different websites where you're going to get cash back for spending through the uh, PayPal browser to buy on those websites. So that's kind of cool also. So they're building a whole ecosystem as to what you can do on there. And I think that is going to drive sales and margins higher over time. So that's uh, that's my third pick for week 51 for those reasons. Number four, um, defense companies. Let's look at it. We are looking at the company L3 Harris. Uh, so L3 Harris hasn't performed as well as some of the other defense contractors this year, but uh, they do have a lot of new company or uh, contracts coming up. They've got a lot of uh, new equipment coming out. They were just named that they had the best of what's new tech award by popular science. They've got a lot of different uh, uh, army contracts. They just won a potential 886 million contract supporting Enhanced Battle Space ISR. Uh, they've got some more Army Communications contracts. They've got uh, emergency responder uh, certifications that just came out. They've got a lot of different things that are going on with them. Uh, they were at a high of 279 back in March when the uh, Russia-Ukraine things were really heating up. And now we are sitting at 219. 2% uh, dividend. Uh, like I said, the PE is a little high at 37 you are getting a uh, 23, close to 24% upside on this one average price target of 271. I think you got some good price appreciation there. Uh, I think that uh, with all the problems going on in the world and all the uh, uh, military equipment that has been used, discarded, broken, uh, these, company, uh, these companies are really going to have some tailwinds from the amount of spending that's going on in the world to really defend these different countries. Uh, so that's why it made this one. Uh, it really hasn't run along with the other ones. Hopefully that starts to turn around and L3 Harris or LHX is the ticker really starts to get some price appreciation uh, going forward. Uh, so number five, 
And this one is in that fast casual dining space. And I think some of the high end restaurants are, you know, generally do okay as, uh, you know, the people with a lot of money seem to still make a lot of money, even in a recession. Your, you know, the Darden names might uh, struggle a little bit as people aren't going out to eat as much. But you might see in that fast casual space that more and more people are rushing out to a company like Chipotle, uh, CMG is the ticker here, in order to get that that quick bite to eat after a long day. And uh, Chipotle's got a lot of streamlined businesses where they are looking to find a way to make the chips quicker. They've got robots coming into the uh, the kitchens. They've got uh, fresh ingredients. And uh, I think overall, it just kind of has a cult-like following as, you know, people either love Chipotle or, you know, don't want to see it at all. But the, the people that want to go there are, are generally fairly regular about going. So I think that this one should survive well through a recession even, especially with a lot of the, the way that they built up their business through the pandemic, ordering online, through the app, getting points. Uh, there's a lot of different ways for people to order and get Chipotle now. Uh, so you've got about 18.49% of upside, average price target of 1835 from 1548. And one that I think should do well going forward. So uh, that's my five for this week. We've got uh, Bank of America, BAC, Broadcom, AVGO, uh, PayPal, PYPL, L3 Harris, which is LHX and Chipotle Mexican Grill, which is CMG. Get over to uh, Let It Grow Investing on Facebook. There is a link in the description. Get your votes in. We are going to be buying one of these next Monday. And uh, hopefully it's one that uh, takes us over this, this downward trend that we've been on in our uh, Weeble account. So, uh, And if you need to create a Weeble account to get started investing, I've got uh, my link in the description as well. Uh, I do want to take a, a quick look at that before I let you guys go. And uh, yeah, on Sunday, we were down about 10.5%. Right now, we're sitting at uh, minus 7.9. So we are trending up, and uh, hopefully we can you know see some more gains before the end of the year here. And then ultimately, we have got to figure out what we're going to be doing with this account going into 2023. So if you got any ideas, um, let me know. So with that being said, that's all I got for you guys uh, today. I got to get back out here and get some stuff finished up before we might get any kind of freezing rain in and uh, might have to go out and actually do some uh, some snow type work tonight. So with that being said, thank you guys for stopping by and I will catch you in the next one. Take care. Thank you for stopping by here on Let It Grow Investing. Please make sure to like, subscribe, and share to build a community of like-minded investors. If you do have questions for me or for the group, you can find us over there on Let It Grow Investing podcast on Facebook. This is not professional financial advice. I am not a professional financial advisor. Please make sure to do all your own research before investing in any security. I do have links in the description to help get you started on E-Trade, Webull, Crypto.com, and Binance. And a friendly reminder that a goal without a plan is just a dream. So go ahead and build your plan, uh, design your portfolio, and stick to it. Thanks for stopping by. I will catch you guys in the next one.